Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Welcome, everyone, to the Epic Narrative. This is going to be a ton of fun because <laughs> I'm going to have so much fun today because Chapter 10 is really a list of names. And although I have no doubt that there are probably entire books written about every name and how long each person lived and the, and the, and the ancestral history of each person and where they lived and the geographical locations that they moved to and the tribes that they were attached to, I'm not going to cover that. Sweet Lord, <laughs> I'm going to move through a chapter so fast. This is exciting for me <laughs> and exciting for you as well. I have no doubt because you're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here and we're going to roll with the story. So chapter 10, I'm not going to skip the whole chapter by any means because there are some really fun things. All right. So this is the account of Shem, Hem, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The Jeff Japhethites. What in the world? The names in this chapter are really are really honestly fun. If you're looking for for those odd like uh, those odd baby names, this this is a chapter for you because you could technically have a Bible name and yet probably sound like you're actually a Hollywood elite because they'd be like, oh, that's a that's such a unique name. Where did you find that? And you say, oh, it's an ancient name from the Jephthites. <laughs> I don't know. You could sound really important, though. I have no doubt. And you could you could let your children know. Listen, I took your name, Rip, Ripath, or Togamoth, or Gomer. That's No, actually, don't go with that. Or uh, Rodenite. Or the Mishek, or the Teras, or the Dubals, or the Javan. Oh, actually, Javan's around. Actually, there's a lot of Magog. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Magog. That's a good yeah, Gog and Magog. Anyways, there there are a lot of great names in this chapter. And uh, and that's something I wanted to note. So so noted, Bob. Thank you. Uh, then you got the Hamites, of course. Those would be the sons of Ham. Now, if you remember last episode, we had the fact that Noah cursed Ham. And we we uh, we touched on the power and the authority that God's given us in the in our voice and in our tongue and how important it is that we speak blessings in life and call people back to their original design, not respond to people or react to their behavior and then curse them. And it doesn't have to be as dramatic as it was for Noah. It could be something much more simple, like you get cut off in traffic, or somebody's just driving too slow, or, okay, maybe those are personal problems I go through. It could be somebody in church that is interrupting your worship experience. <laughs> As a pastor, can I just say, I run into this more often than I'd like to, where, where <laughs> <laughs> this is this is crazy to me. Not well, okay, not crazy, but I find it fascinating. Somebody will be doing something during worship that is distracting. Now this is this I get this because for years, for years that's the way I felt. For years I felt like if there was, you know, if somebody was 
was doing something that was distracting, that needed to be stopped because I was worshiping. And they they were making noise, like they were talking to their to their neighbor or to the, you know, somebody walked in who hadn't been in church for a while and suddenly there was like these squeals and these, these conversations that would take place and you're like, stop it, it's worship. We're worshiping, quiet, take it out in the hallway, go to the lobby. Of course, if you really love God, you would just talk after church. <laughs> And I really believed it. I laugh at myself when I when I make when I mock this. Like I literally laugh at myself. Because over the years, what I learned was if I'm distracted by someone's behavior during worship, now maybe you go to some really fun church where people dance or they run up and run up and down the aisles, or maybe they have flags or ribbons or fans or or oh oh yeah, what are those things? What are those what are those loud, obnoxious things? Oh, shofars or tambourines, also loud and obnoxious because God bless them, 90% of the people that have tambourines cannot stay on rhythm because they get so fired up during worship, they they start missing the rhythm and then they're trying to catch up or, oh man. Anyways, anyways, you you get you get distracted. And I, I used to think, okay, so if I'm distracted, this needs to stop. And maybe it isn't the person. Maybe it's the temperature in the room. It's too hot in here. It's too cold in here. It's too echoey. The The sound quality needs to be improved. We need a better sound. I can't worship. I can't worship with that. It's just too tinny. It's too There's not enough reverb. There's not enough bass. There's percussions are so loud. I can't hear myself think. The bass is rattling the the fabric of my jeans. Whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's so many. These are all things, legitimate things that I, they come to me. Hey, Pastor Bob, can you basically fix this? Can you talk to that person? Can you talk to that worship team member? Can you, can you talk to the sound guy? Can you fix my problem with them? And I think internally, usually I think, well, okay, but I'm going to challenge you first. I'm going to challenge you to have that conversation. You go to that mother of four boys and you say to her, your boys who are in worship, in church, are too distracting. You bring coloring books and they color you know, they turn around and and they kneel on the floor, turn around and color on the pews. And it's 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 a terrible, disrespectful thing to do to God Almighty. God is not impressed with children who are not paying attention to the atmosphere of the holy presence of the Lord. Or something like that, if that's your heart. But, you know, most of the time they don't want to have those conversations. Why? Because, well, it's embarrassing that they get distracted so easily. And they don't want to be embarrassed. They want the pastor to make a rule. Make a rule, Bob. Make a new rule. Talk talk to the church. Let them know. Children are not allowed to wave the flags. They wave the flags too fast. And they might hit somebody. And actually, that's true. But so do old people who wave flags. They might hit somebody too. Anyways, it's... It's literally 
it, it, it can be anything. It, it can be anything. The word guy doesn't move it fast enough. Uh, you know, we're four words into the next verse, and then he switches it. It's, it's just terrible, terrible what's going on here, terrible. We need better tech people. And my head is always like, are you willing to help? No, I can't help. I'm here to worship. Oh, okay. Well, then, hmm. <laughs> the words that go through my mind, and then I hear my beautiful, amazing wisdom of, of my mother, the wisdom of my mother, who is just flat out amazing. And she would say, Bob, think before you speak. I literally would have a million dollars if I had a dollar for every time she said that to me. No, think, think, think before she, because she can probably see it coming in my face as my, you know, my crazy wild-eyed self. She'd be like, no, 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 <laughs> stop, stop. Think before you speak. Attitude of gratitude. That was another phrase. Think before you think, before you speak. Attitude of gratitude. If you can't say anything nice, oh, Lord. Don't say anything at all. Did I hear that one? I'd be a multi-billionaire if I had a dollar for every time she told me that. If you can't, say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I'd look at her and think, but what I have to say needs to be said. And 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 she'd be like, is it nice? Are you going to be nice? Then don't say it. But mom, listen, my mom taught me some amazing lessons in life, lessons in life that I still, I still live by because she's that awesome. She's still alive too. She is that awesome. Anyways. Wow. Uh, Bob, where was I? Because I, I'm not seeing worship in any of these names. You were just, I got distracted. Well, no kidding. I don't even know. Was I on the Hamites? Oh, the ver Oh, sweet Lord. I went down. A That's not a rabbit trail. That's a freaking path through uh, over the mountain. Holy smokes. I got to worship, distraction to worship from Ham being cursed by Noah. Oh, my word. Well, God bless you people if you're still listening. <laughs> Let me just wrap up the worship. I know I will wrap this up. Stop it. Let me just wrap up the worship thing by saying, whenever I'm distracted, this is what I ask. I ask myself, why are you distracted? Why can't you? What what keeps you from focusing deeper? Because one thing I know is if somebody is focused, they are not distracted. Right? You talk to you know top tier athletes, the insanity of stadiums or or, you know, stands filled with people. And the top-tier athletes focus. They, they tell you, I don't, I don't really hear them. I don't hear a thing. People are, you know, calling them out, calling them names. Specifically, you know, throw, some, some stadiums are being, you know, things are being thrown at them. They stay focused. Why? Because they're not going to let those things distract them. Even though those things are legitimately distracting. They don't, they don't let it distract them. They stay focused. So I ask myself, what, what do you need to do to get more focused during worship, Bob, so that none of this distracts you? 
Now that's that's a fair question. And if something is, you know, that inappropriate, I know as a pastor, sometimes I have a role to help guide people in corporate worship because sometimes it's not a good idea, you know, it's it's not a it's not a great idea to have, you know, children, usually it's children, you know, playing, tossing a football uh, between each other in the pew. It just, it's going to escalate really quick into, you know, somebody getting tackled or the ball being missed and being tipped and, you know, bouncing off some gentleman's head or whatever. So, yes, I do step in and, and stop things, but I have to ask myself, am I distracted by this? Or do I have a role to kind of help people focus? But listen, generally, I'm going to encourage people. You're the one who needs to focus more. And if it's a conversation that you think I should have, make sure it's after you have had several conversations with that peer person, that you've entered into relationship and tried to understand why they allow this behavior to go on or what they think they're trying to accomplish by the dance that they're dancing or the flags that they're waving what 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 expression of worship are you missing out on because you don't understand what they're trying to do aha am i okay now can i move (laughs) bob's like oh my gosh i don't even know how i don't even know what's going on here we're like 13 minutes into this recording and somehow in a chapter filled with names you're still going on chapter i'm you know on verse six and trust me i really want to get through this chapter i will too anyways the hamites the sons uh sons of ham verse six uh cush egypt put and canaan now canaan's mentioned in the in the previous chapter several times the father of canaan's which the canaanites so if that doesn't help you understand how quickly the world is being populated, it should. So in the last chapter, Ham was the father of the Canaanites, a nation, a large tribe of people that had already spread out over the over the countryside. They That was the last chapter. In this chapter, he's now the father of three other large tribal nations. That's That's intense. You know, pay attention to that. Now, also under the curse of of Noah, a lot of um, previous commentators, passionate people for the word of God, people who love Jesus, they believed that because Egypt and Cush were and Canaan were all kind of tied into to the continent of Africa, that was their excuse that the nation of Africa was a nation of servants for the rest of the world because Noah's curse they took to be God's predetermined sovereign will. Now, you know, if you've listened to the epic narrative, you know that I don't believe God cursed Ham. Noah cursed Ham. And it it did divide the, the nations and it set in motion a, uh, a pattern of separation and of racism and of ethnic biases and gener- and ancestral biases that that to this day we still battle. But I don't think God had anything to do with it. But we have to understand the power and authority that we hold in our tongue. 
and pretending that it's not there just makes matters worse. I did want to note that Genesis uh, chapter 10 here, verse 9, from the Hamites, uh, actually, actually verse 8, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know what he meant the first time, we're going to say it again. Next verse, the first centers of his, of his kingdom, this is Nimrod's kingdom, were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, Kalana, and Shinar. Now, Shinar is where the Tower of Babel was built. But let's just, let's just look at this. We're talking, you know, 100 plus years for each one of those cities, those, those regions that were built up under the leadership of Nimrod. Now, the word, the phrase, a mighty hunter before the Lord, if you looked at it, again, generally, you'd look at it and say, well, he was a really great guy who loved, who loved the Lord. He was a mighty warrior before the Lord. But in the context of the, of the language of that day, before the Lord meant in rebellion against the Lord. It meant arrogance to God, to his face. Like he was before the Lord pumping his fist in his face. That's what that means. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, in front of God, in his face, with his pride and his arrogance. Nimrod was a throwback to the time before Noah. He noted, it's noted, uh, now, now these, these notations come from Syrian tradition, Jewish tradition, Muslim traditions, Arabic uh, literature, etc. Like this, this, uh, this kind of nuances of who Nimrod is, is noted in multiple ancient writings, including even Josephus, who ties him directly to the Tower of Babel. And we'll get there. We will get there because I'm committed <laughs> <laughs> but the 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 idea of Nimrod was that he moved he well okay first of all his skills okay he was a mighty hunt a mighty warrior he had he had the ability to control people through his his talent people looked at him and was like oh my gosh how did he get that how did he find that if there was ever, you know, something that couldn't be caught, a, a beast that was destroying livestock, if there was, uh, if there was animals that were eating and destroying, um, you know, the, the agriculture, Nimrod had a had just this incredible knack of hunting and killing what was what was uh, in need of being killed. I guess. Remember that. In the last chapter, God said that the animals of the of the world are going to naturally fear man. That if you're gonna, even though you may eat any of them, they're not going to be easy to catch. Nimrod made it look easy again. Nimrod had a way. He just had a way. And I don't know. I don't watch a lot of hunting shows. I have a son-in-law who's a hunter. I have another son who'd like to be a hunter. <laughs> it just doesn't have the time. But there are those who just seem to know. Right, they tend to have their own shows, and sometimes it. There, I do. I do know that sometimes they're fake shows, and you know they they tie the buck up to a tree, and then they untie it, and then the guy's like, oh, 
there it is. I've been looking for him for, you know, for the last three hours, tracking him. There he is. Okay, be quiet. Got him. Yes. I do know it's fake. Some of it. But there are those who just are naturally gifted. Nimrod was one of those people. And because of that, he was naturally moved into places of leadership. And because he had natural places of leadership, Nimrod is known to have moved government from a communal mindset, the idea that there were multiple leaders, multiple elders, everyone talked together, dinners together, sit around the hookah together. He moved it from that sort of government into a tyrant type of government, using his leadership to move toward manipulation, consolidation, and control. Now, I totally understand. Hang on. All right, I'm back again. I, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe Brian took that out, but I uh, I had a phone call. I had to take a phone call. Nimrod is an amazing... <laughs> back to Nimrod. Bob, Bob in my head is like, no, 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 please don't get distracted again. <laughs> Focus. We will never get to where you want to be. So Nimrod moved the government from communal to ty ty tyran tyrannical. He consolidated power, consolidated control, cons and, and basically used people, some would say manipulated people, to get what he wanted done. Now, people of vision, this, this is not an unusual move for leaders of vision. Because leaders with vision, even if they love people, even if they think people are wonderful and they love to hang out with them, they look at people and think, if you weren't in my way, I'd already be done with the project. Or the thing that's holding me up is you. And <laughs> you need to go away. <laughs> this happens often uh, for me, my life, right? My life has been in church. I've worked in churches for years. So I've seen this type. I've seen highly communal uh, leadership. And usually what that means is there's a there's a church meeting. It seems like at least at the minimum once a month. We're going to meet and talk about this. We're going to meet and talk about that. We're going to meet and talk about this. So there's just a lot of meetings. And what happens is oftentimes a powerful family in the community becomes the leaders of the community because they have, you know, four sons and all of them are married and the dad and the mom show up. So there's, you know, eight people that are a voting block. So if they want it, odds are it's going to get through. And even if they're not on leadership teams, if the mere fact that everything has to be voted on, which in and of itself might not necessarily be a communal mindset, but anyways, that's generally why churches will move away from that. They'll go to board led things, but then Pastors who really want to get things done will load the board with people who they know will always vote along with them. And and some some churches will they'll have a board meeting, but then they'll have like an executive committee of just the pastor and his friends, and they will then bring the recommendations to the board. And I've literally heard of, of pastors who are who tell the board, when we vote, we will always vote unanimously. <laughs> because we want to bring a united front to the congregation. We want to be able to say the board has met and we unanimously recommend like, like 
they know if the board is unanimous, the pushback from the congregation, even if there are people who push back, the odds of it not passing are pretty much zero. So it becomes this, this weird hybrid of, of tyrant, tyrannical control, manipulation, with this fakey kind of almost a facade, see-through facade of we're a community. We we talk about everything. We we meet, you know, every quarter. We meet once a year, but we we have a, a large agenda. You know, we even have dinner. We all have dinner together. Whatever. Like it's just, I don't know. I I understand why someone of Nimrod's driven passion would look around and say, no, I'm in control. If you want me to build this city, or if you want me to, to take out that dinosaur, if you want me to just, you know, to do the hunting in this area and free it of wild animals, if you want me, then this is what it's going to cost you. Give up your freedoms. Let me run. Let me be in control. And I think for the most part, for the most part, that's exactly what he did. It says from the from the land of Babylon, he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh, uh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, Rezin. These are all great cities. He was he was a driven leader, but you didn't mess with him. And and one of his natural talents was very threatening. If he is literally the best hunter in the world and you decide to push a, you know, push back against him, you had to wonder if you're wandering through a valley someday, the odds of getting hit by Nimrod and you having no idea where he is, that, that, that was a pretty good one. He was going to get you. He was going to get you. If he wanted to, you were a dead man. And I don't know if he ever killed anybody. But I have, I have in my head, I have little doubt imagining Nimrod uh, fighting back against maybe a rumor that there are some uh, some dissenting votes <laughs> that suddenly disappeared in his past. Like I just totally see that happening. Nimrod, is it true that uh, that uh, you know so and so from Cush? Uh, disagreed with you once, and then no one ever saw him again? And he'd be like, hmm, I don't know. I know I've never seen him again. And uh, the vote went through next time, so I don't know what happened to him. I mean, that sort of thing, right? All right. So uh, he's he's passionate. Then you have the Semites, right? These are the sons uh, born to Shem whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. Sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad. Honestly, that's an amazing name. A-R-P-H-A-X-A-D. Like, if you gave a kid that name, that would be bizarre. I don't even know how you'd say it, but it looks really cool. Anyways, tons of people, tons of cities, Lots of lots of clan, lots of stuff going on, and then the last verse. Ha! Huh, see, that's how you get to the end of the chapter. You just start with the last verse. The last verse, verse thirty-two. These, talking about the previous notes, 
These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their within their nations. Nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. There is just a thousand stories, thousands upon thousands of stories in this chapter. But the story they want you to know, like, granted, there are no chapters or verses in the original writings, right? So they go through all this so that you can see the influence of these of these sons and the way that it influenced the nations. And from there, we roll into a story of significance. Now, the whole world had one language. This is chapter 11 of Genesis. Had one language, a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found in the plain of Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the people that were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come on, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them all over the earth and they stopped building the city. This is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them all over the face of the whole earth. Now, people have already been moving around the whole earth. We already got that. There's nations and tribes that have been pushing out from where the, where the ark landed for a hundred plus years. So here in chapter 11, verse 1, the Tower of Babel, the, the, the tower story Right is again. It's something that is seen through the nations. It's seen in Syria. It's seen in the Jewish uh, traditions. It's seen in Muslim traditions, Arabic traditions. Jose even Josephus, like I said, the, all of these things tie into the Tower of Babel. So the odds of this actually happening is a pretty. Uh, it just multiplies. It compounds in multiple traditions, literature, religions, uh, conversations. Everybody goes back to this one place where their languages were developed and distributed so that the world became really separated throughout the lands. Now, Nimrod, if as arrogant as he claimed to be, he was moving back into the patterns of pre-flood uh, arrogance and uh, selfishness and fear-based leadership and um, uh, what do I want to say? Manipulation, control, centralization of power, things uh, that were tolerated or considered good from the old practices were being remembered and reforming as as the earth, uh, you know, population was growing. The history that everybody had learned from their fathers, Shem, Hem, Japheth, and from their grand, you know, their their grandfather, Noah. The stories of what it was like before the flood. They they started to research these ancient uh, practices. They started wanting to know more 
about why they they behaved the way they did and they they started to adopt some of these practices now nimrod seizes the momentum as the numbers of, on the earth were growing because sorry that was a long pause uh because as he's doing you know taking care of this area this this whole area of assyria and babylon uh that whole huge plain is where he kind of rules the roost he sees that people are getting nervous they're like hey we're we're kind of doing what was done before the flood we we might need a place of protection maybe we should build a place that we could all hide in when the flood if the flood ever comes back and that's why it's important as we read these descriptions it's important that we see what they did they said let's build a place so high uh, build a, build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens they wanted to go so high so it wasn't just a tower it was an entire city all the way around the tower so that we may make a name for ourselves otherwise we would be scattered over the face of the whole earth so so they made bricks they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar why would you do this because this was going to be a place that was going to be waterproof those who who break down what was going on here they weren't just taking stones from the quarry limestones from the ground and building them up and not that those things were weak but they they would not sustain a waterproof mentality but if you bake bricks you break them you 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 create a solid mass and then you use tar instead of mortar so that so that the weak parts right of a, of a of a concrete building is where the mortar goes in between the bricks that's where the water can seep in but if you use tar in there you're going to become a waterproof uh, yeah what well, is going to become waterproof this whole idea was we're going to build a huge city with a tower in the middle that goes up so high that everyone can see it when they come to the plane so that if the flood comes back again if god is going to come and kill everyone again we will we will be seen for miles so people could come here and be a refuge against the flood we can be a safe place against the wrath of god you see god was gonna get credit again right here for killing everyone's relatives and their forefathers that's what they're remembering they're not taking responsibility for any of the choices that their relatives made they see themselves as victims who believe that they really they had they, there should be no consequences for the choices that they make they wanted greatness they wanted to be noted as man as powerful as as uh, as gods they wanted this one spot that would bring all men to them should god decide to get angry again their imaginations were becoming more and more selfish, more and more arrogant, more and more prideful, and nothing 
they imagined would be impossible. That's what the Lord says. If as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. God understands that it's not that nothing they plan to do would be impossible. Not it's it's not that they would become gods, but he's saying they they are they will become so evil that once again there's going to become and a, a reason, a, a, a format through which the enemy is going to be able to sweep in and wipe out my creation. This is this is really intense. Everything they imagined would be possible. No moral code or resistance. Now listen, God loves imagination. He loves creativity. He loves mighty works of art and gentle works of art. He loves all of that. I mean, the, the word wisdom draws from the same word as creativity. You can't be wise and not be creative. So there's so much about Nimrod and the people of the of the Valley of, uh, of Shinar that, that brings joy to the Lord. When he looks down, he sees this. So this is this is not I don't I don't look at this as a curse from God when in verse seven when he says, Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the languages of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them all over the face of the whole earth. I think they were already scattered over a lot of the earth, but they all spoke the same language. So there was a there was a communion of of humanity and in that communion they were like let's build something that we all come back to do you understand that's what they're saying they said to each other come let us make bricks bake them thoroughly they use brick instead of stone they use tar for mortar let us build ourselves a city a tower that reaches the heavens so that the flood can't get over the top of it if we build something big enough and waterproof enough then if god gets upset with us again and decides to wipe out the world with the flood, we'll have a place to go. We'll have a city big enough for everyone to get in, and if, if the waters go over the walls, we will get in the tower, shut the door, and we'll all be safe. This was a, this was a, a place of selfish preservation. We don't want to do anything that God tells us to do. We want to be able to do our own thing and not have ramifications of the choices that we're making. We don't want the results of the sin that we're entering into. We want to be free of that, so we're going to do our own thing. This all comes from the mindset of Nimrod, who was their leader. So God comes down, and he confuses the language. What does that do? Well, it slows down a lot of their momentum. Because they had to go find their places of of they got to, they had to go find their homes again. They they were <laughs> it actually blessed the world with community and gave culture and peace a culture of peace to the whole world. Do you understand that the momentum was was building of of the, that again that hatred that fear that selfishness that that evil was growing. God came down and said, I'm going to bless this world. I'm going to bless it with 
by by confusing their languages, by changing the language of the world into into different ones. I don't know how many. I don't know how many. Did he change it into eight? Did he change it into four? Did he change it into 34? I don't know. I'm sure that in the moment, it seemed as though their momentum, I mean, think of how Nimrod looked at this. He was, he was, he was probably incensed, desperate to try and keep everybody in the city to keep building. The world was starting to converge on this area. Everybody's working together. Everybody was was speaking together. The the tower was being built. This tower, according to those who have done the research, was considered. Uh, it was it was probably as big around as uh, I think it was Ohio State University football stadium. That's what the base looked like. So I don't know if you've ever been in a large football stadium, but just imagine, just imagine the size of this thing. They 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 were engineering something that would have went that would have went well over a mile high. And it was going to be waterproof from the bottom to the top. And it was going to be filled with apartments. It was going to be filled with uh, storage areas for food, for seed. They wanted they they wanted a place where they could be in the face of God, just like Nimrod. That was his attitude. He was in the face of God, saying, "You cannot control me. I am a driven leader. I'm a visionary leader, and your rules will not get in my way." And God said, "You know what? I'm going to bless this world, and I'm going to build the opportunity for community." and grace to one another. Because what you're building here is a place of of torment, manipulation, control, slavery. I don't think I don't think the 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 confusion of the language was a curse. I think it was a blessing because I think that's what God does. I don't think he comes down and curses his creation. I think he he comes down and says this is actually going to be way better for you than maybe even you deserve. I'm going to I'm going to change the language of the world from one to many. Now you can I have no doubt that for some of you this is a really strange way to look at the Tower of Babel because you've always thought this was God coming down and stopping evil. Well, I guess at some level I'd say you're right. I think he stopped an evil momentum, but he did so with a blessing cuz that's the way God would operate. He's not going to he doesn't thwart evil by doing some by doing a curse. If you curse evil, you just make evil stronger because that's what cur- that's what where curses come from. Curses come from evil. It's like saying God uses guilt or shame in order to make people, you know, love him more. How can you use the the weapons of the enemy and not make the enemy stronger? There's no way God would do that. He uses the weapons of heaven, which is love and joy and peace. Patience, kindness, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> All right, everyone, I appreciate Look at, Look at, we went through a whole chapter and nine verses of the next chapter. So don't mess with me anymore when I only get through two verses. Because this, this is probably the best I, this is probably the best I've ever done as far as numbers go. But granted, I set myself up for success here. 
given the given what chapter 10 was about. All right, you guys have a great day. I'll see you next time on the Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, here we go. I have some thoughts on uh, this episode. I just uh, more expansion, some some expansion thoughts. But first, where am I today? <laughs> Man, last yesterday we drove. We got a late start. We drove our house to Memphis, Tennessee, and we parked in like the largest Bass Pro Shop parking lot I've ever. Well, not parking lot, but the largest Bass pro shop I've ever seen. It's a huge pyramid. It, it, I, I can't believe they built it. I have, I have a gut feeling it was probably a casino or something. <laughs> Anyways, that's where I am at the, at the time of this recording. And uh, I just wanted to add some more thoughts to the idea that God blessed the earth with the confusion of the language rather than curse the earth. And I, I take it to be a blessing because he divided the people up so that they couldn't continue on a way that would have brought their own destruction again. The enemy had to be incredibly upset by the fact that Noah and his family over the last four, 500 years had repopulated the earth. So he's looking again to destroy whatever he can of the of the you know of God's uh, image on earth. He's 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 like he didn't see God showing up at the end of the flood and recreating the earth. He didn't see the promise of God to keep him from flooding the earth again. So he was like, all right, like let's just keep pushing this whole like selfishness, pride, arrogance, uh, fear because I know in the end that always brings death. And he was just looking to kill everybody again. And when God steps in here, I, I do know that at some, at some level, it's, it doesn't, uh, you know, then you're like, well, why doesn't God step in all the time and bless, and bless instead of curse? And yeah, I know that's, that, is a, that is quite the, that's a good question, I guess is the way I'd look at it. That's a, good, that's a very good question. I don't always have that answer. What I always go back to when I have those kind of questions is I go back to Jesus and I say, what did Jesus behave like? Did Jesus ever kill anybody? Did he ever, uh, you know, stop somebody from doing something evil because he's just like, you know, we don't, we don't want to do that. He always, he always provided a way out. That's what God always does. He provides a way out. And for me, that's what the confusing of the languages is or the, the division of the language. He provided a way out so people would go back to their communities. They would go back to their tribes. They would, they would go back to uh, living life as they were designed in connection, in relationship, not under the dominance and fear of government. And, and I, I, I accept the fact that in government, it is really hard for people to give up power because they have it. And they think, I, I'm going to do what I think is best for the people. 
even if it means controlling every aspect of their lives. And some of them say, I don't care what the what the people are. I want what I want, and I'm going to get it, and I'm going to you know, enrich myself, empower myself, <clears throat> and my friends, and I don't care about the people. Either way, the people live under the control and fear of the government, and, and I believe that is not the way of the kingdom. That's not the way of God. And God stepped in, and he confused the languages. He separated the languages so that people... The government over the people would would dissipate. Now Nimrod, he'll you know he'll show up again uh, over the next couple of weeks uh, because he is a powerful leader and he did not just like get all depressed and stop running the world. Uh, he continued to try and run the world. This guy is this guy is a very impressive leader, and uh, yeah, I was I was quite. <clears throat> I was quite impressed with Nimrod in our in my studies uh, on on this guy. He has an amazing reputation uh, throughout throughout uh, history. He is, um, yeah, he's somebody to look into. But I do know that that even even looking at the at the confusing of the languages as a blessing, it is still an odd thing to say because it looks like God stepped in and stopped something from happening. And then you have to ask yourself, why doesn't he always do that? And I'll just be upfront. I don't always have that answer. I don't always have the answer, but I don't think it was a curse. I think it was designed to stop the enemy from killing everyone again or putting them in a position where death, the, the results of sin, the results of pride, arrogance, selfishness, et cetera, would result in the death of everyone. And I think that's what he, that's what he was going for. And he almost got there. He was close. I don't think God was, you know, intimidated by a tower. I really don't. Although the tower itself is, is again, archaeologically, it's quite impressive to look into as, as to what they were doing, the, the ability that they had in, those, in the technology, for lack of a better term, or the techniques that they had developed uh, to do these sort of towers, these these monuments, these right, we right, what well, we have some today, right? We have the the pyramids. Uh, I'm like I said, I'm currently sitting in front of one here at the Bass Pro Shop in, in Memphis, Tennessee. It's it's huge, but you know this is just a man-made thing. Uh, you know we got the the cranes and the and the trucks and the conveyor belts and all that sort of thing, and, and I don't know all what they had come up with, but I do know what they built around the world, pyramids around the world, not just the one in, in Egypt. It's They're impressive, and this would have been easily 10 times that size, easily. Everything about it indicates they were looking for a place for the world to hide should a flood ever occur again and they would be able to survive long enough to outwit, you know, outwit God because they still believed God had caused the flood and they still thought, you know, they blamed God for the results of their sin, which, let's, let's be honest, everybody likes to do that. Everybody likes to look at the results of their sin and say, see, see what God did to me? This is horrible. I can't believe he hates me like this. And then we blew, we put up these barriers to try and keep him from doing it again. You know, uh, we we <laughs> we get to, uh, we we put up more life savings. We put in more retirement. We we say God, you know, God is never going to make me poor again or something like that. We 
we get better friends. We we say, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a better spouse this time because God did this, God did that. We just we blame God for everything, and and sometimes it, you know He just it's it's just the results of either the other person's choices or your choices, and the results are what they are. You reap what you sow. That's part of the. It's part meant to be the one of the biggest blessings of the kingdom. It's one one of the biggest blessings of creation. You reap what you sow. You get to obtain what you you know what you go after, and you get it and multiply it. It's, but then you say, well, why do good bad things happen to good people? Because other people are involved. Oh my gosh, it's it's quite a conundrum. But God is always good. And, and when his goodness shows up in your bad circumstances, it doesn't mean he caused the bad circumstances. His goodness shows up in the middle of a divorce that, you know, is should have never happened because who who goes into a marriage with the idea of, hey, I want, you know, this will only be a few, for a few years and then we'll, you know, we'll just separate and have some, you know, go find someone else. Like nobody, nobody heads into marriage like that. Where does that come from? Did God cause that? I would say no. I would say no, but man, there's no need to stay, you know, in in marriages that are that are just so horrific. They're toxic. They're they're abusive. They're they're they create environments where you live in fear and in danger and intimidation and control. Like none of that is of the kingdom. None of that is intention of God. It's, it's, uh, there's a, I, I, I do know that my, you know, the concepts of God always being good and that God not killing and it, it can get complicated. I do understand that. But to me, that's part of the wrestling and the, the growing of my faith, the wrestling of our, of our walk with God. We, we go to God and we say, Hey, you've got a problem here. Let's work this out. But my trust is in him and his, and in his goodness. My trust is in the way he looked when he was on earth in the body of Christ. And that's all <laughs> That's all I'm going to do today. My goodness, Bob, it's, that was 10 minutes long. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the, the episode. I look forward to talking to you again next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.